Hi, from the Lucky Number 7 Lounge in the basement of Dine, Drink, Travel World Headquarters in the barren wastelands of far west Texas, this is Dine, Drink, Vegas, the podcast for everybody like us who's stuck at home but would rather be in the land of neon signs and bad decisions. I'm your host, John, also known as the Baller on the Budget, and in episode number three, we're going to talk about pool days in Vegas, we're going to dive into our drink of the day, and then we're going to hit you with our Vegas news and upcoming events on our YouTube channel. But now, it's time to welcome in the founder of Dine Drink Travel himself, the high roller of the high plains, the leader in the luxury lounge, the king of comps, the man who is always eagerly waiting for his limo driver to take him to the hotel. It's Bill. Come on in, Bill. So actually a week from right now, I'm landing in Las Vegas, pretty much from this minute. And I didn't book a limo this time. And I'm going to stand in a cab line. I'm not even sure what the process is for that. A a cab? I was trying to be financially responsible for once. Well, you know, okay, I I can see that. So, uh, Would you cab or would you Uber? I I tend to be a Lyft guy. I'm I'm very specific. I tend to Lyft. Yeah, that'd be one more app on my phone and get off my lawn. Yeah, okay, fair. Uh, I've, I've kind of quizzed some of the drivers, and they go back and forth on whether Uber or Lyft treats them better. Uh, I don't know why. A, a cab's probably more convenient. Uh, and given my budget, I should probably bus. But but even I, again, I try to be the baller on a budget, and there's nothing baller about riding the bus. There yeah, just no. isn't. Bus is, so, bus is no good. Yeah, yeah. so I'm not going to do that. All right, so we're going to start with the drink of the week. And uh, I feel like in these first few episode, episodes, we've kept it pretty basic. I promise listeners, all four of you that we have at this point in the podcast history, that we are going to get into some deeper things for beverages. But since we're talking about pools, we had to keep it pool friendly. And as we record, it is two days after Cinco de Mayo. So obviously, there's only one cocktail we could be consuming, Bill, and that is the... The margarita. The margarita or Rita for short. Uh, By the way, before we jump into the history and our recipes for these various margaritas, um, I don't want to offend anybody in our audience because there's only like five of them. But can we agree that uh, people who say Marg instead of Rita are problematic? Is that, is that, can we agree on that? I didn't know there were such people. Like, where do you hang out when we're not together? That's, that's been a thing over the last few years. People talking about, we're going to go get a picture of Marg's after work. I don't, I don't understand these people. No, but no, no, no. If you are a Marg person and you're listening, please don't, please don't be. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. no, no. Yeah. Don't turn the podcast off. Say Marg as much as you want until we have a bigger audience than really, then, you know, go on. All right. So, um, the margarita, uh, great cocktail. Now, I'm not going to get into the definitive history of the drink because there are multiple claims of who invented this, but it is an update on the Daisy. Now, for those of you that are not bilingual, Bill is bilingual. Uh, if you were to translate Daisy into Spanish, you get margarita. And so the Daisy goes back all the way to, I think, the 1860s, roughly. And it, it itself is a variation on, on the sour. So at some point, we'll do whiskey sours. And originally, whiskey sours had egg white, and I think they still should. But somewhere post-Civil War, uh, somebody decided to leave out the uh, leave out the egg white and sub in some uh, orange brandy, and boom, you get the Daisy. And when that gets to either Mexico or one of the states that used to be Mexico, somebody subbed out whatever other spirit you might put in a Daisy, put in tequila, and thus came the 
margarita. So Bill, let's talk about, we both made different margaritas today. And that's one of the great things about margaritas. There's a million variants. So let's talk about yours. So I'm Southern. My baseline drink is bourbon, but I also lived in Mexico for a couple of years and I learned to appreciate tequilas. And I'm not going to put a super high-end tequila in a margarita because tequila is a drink that much like a whiskey or something like, or a rum can be enjoyed neat on its own. If I'm going to mix it, though, I still want a good tequila. And what I tend to use for my margaritas most of the time is Centenario Reposado. Um, it's a, a, the Mexican Poor Ministry got me a bottle of that for Christmas in like 2004. And that's been my go-to everyday tequila drinker since then. And I put lime in it, but it's more of a like gentle suggestion of lime. Like I'm looking at your drink, and it's it's a lot greener than yeah. mine is. Mine is not. Mine is mostly the color of tequila with hints of orange. But what I'll do is get some orange liqueur, um, usually a tequila-based orange liqueur if I can. I'll put in three parts tequila to one part orange liqueur, some orange bitters, some grapefruit bitters, Um, a couple of drops of lime juice, like I will gently wave a lime in that direction. And then I will put, yeah, I think I said the bitters and there you go. So it is mostly a tequila based drink with some other things to highlight it. Now I will put a big ice cube in it because this is one of those things which I think should be served cold. And by the end of your second one, you probably want something that's a little bit more watered down anyway. But basically I'm drinking a glass of flavored tequila because my time in Mexico influenced me to, to to appreciate the tequila for what it is. And you can absolutely have this by the drink, but if you drink a giant pitcher of what I just made, you're going to die. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. And I, I, I enjoy the way you make a margarita. In my mind, yours is closer to a, a lime-themed old-fashioned than, than a margarita, but it, it's still beautiful. It's a great drink. It is. And like to me, so the dominant taste in mine past the um the tequila is orange now when we talked about some bourbon drinks a couple episodes ago that same thing was true so i just like orange as a flavor the other approach that i've had that i really liked i was walking around shankanab park in cozumel on a cruise in december of 2019 and they made a a margarita there which involved tossing the tequila with a whole lot of live grapefruit you know fresh grapefruit and fresh orange that also worked really really well even if it was sweeter and juicier. But while I like drinks that are sweet, I don't want like a pitcher of sweet stuff. I want something which has a hint of sweet underneath it rather than fundamentally being a sweet drink. Yeah, and and, and I hear you. And I don't like, mine is sweeter than yours, and I'll get to my recipe in a second, but I don't like them what I would call woo girl sweet. And when we get into daiquiris, we're going to talk about my theory on a woo girl daiquiri versus something Hemingway might have recognized. Uh, but I took a different approach this time. You had some uh, mezcal around. What what label of mezcal am I drinking? Cuatro cientos conejos, so which four, means 400 rabbits. Right, which is the Mayan phrase for... Um, Aztec, actually. Aztec. It is the Aztec phrase for to be drunk. And if you've ever been around a big warren of rabbits, they're all running in every direction. Nothing makes any sense. And I can see how the Aztecs might've gotten to that just kind of organically, however many hundreds of years ago that was. But Rachel and I drove through a little poblacion in central Mexico once it was called 400 rabbits. And somebody told us the story and it made total sense. So, uh, so I use that as the base of my now, uh, 
Bill and I have a different threshold for smoky beverages. Bill said this was a, a smoky mezcal. Uh, I don't find this to be particularly smoky, but my ratio here, ounce and a half of mezcal, an ounce and a half of orange brandy. And I make my own orange brandy listeners because I'm, I'm that sort of extra, but also uh, I am diabetic and I want to cut the sugar. So and his an, orange brandy is fantastic, yes, folks. 80 proof. It, it's sweet, but no, not overpoweringly sweet. So an ounce and a half of mezcal. You can sub out Grand Gala, which is what mine is closest to in flavor profile. Uh, and then an ounce of uh, lime juice. The lime juice today was particularly tart, so I added a little monk fruit sweetener. It's not super sweet. I skipped the bitters. A true margarita would not have them, but you do you. If you like bitters, do the bitters. Uh, but a very, very good drink for us to jump into today's topic. So we're going to talk about pool days in Vegas. Not surprisingly, given how hot Nevada is, uh, swimming pools are, are a standard feature in Las Vegas resorts. And uh, most people consider it essential. Now, Bill, you've got a much longer history in going to Vegas than I do. But for both of us, when we started going to Vegas, neither one of us were big on pool days at first. So let's, let's start with you and your first real pool day experience. So, and actually, I'm going to back up for a second about why I normally didn't do a lot of pool days. My first couple of trips to Vegas were with my sister and her husband, and that just felt like a weird threesome hanging out by the pool. <clears throat> I had some buddies that I would go to Vegas with, and I guess initially the guy's trip to the pool day didn't make a lot of sense in my mind. And my wife has only been to Vegas with me like twice, three times, something like that. And that's just not her thing. So I've walked through pool areas a lot, but have never sat and done a proper pool day. My first experience was actually going to the Bellagio pool, which is gorgeous. Like that physical facility is just beautiful. And I didn't have a proper pool day, but I got a poolside massage, which as it turns out, is not an experience I would recommend because even though they tried to keep that little tent cool and there was a fan going and all that, it was still June in Vegas, and it was just hot, and it was uncomfortable. So my first pool day experience, or my first time really paying for stuff at a pool in Vegas, I don't know, I'd have rather gone inside into the spa. That would have been better, so I just didn't go back to a pool again for several years. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, the first time I went to Vegas was also a guy's trip. You were there, and our buddy Mike was there, and I uh, I did hang out at the Although pool. Although none of us were all really there, there well, simultaneously. that's another story, but I did spend a little time by the pool in Bellagio, and, and I hear what you're saying, Bill, about pools and guy's trips, and uh, <clears throat> listeners, please understand, we know it's 2023, and ideas of masculinity are evolving, but... Um, we are upright Puritans from the heart of West Texas, the buckle of the Bible belt, if you will. No, I'm not Puritan. I'm Episcopalian. I'm the people the Puritans were running from. Fair, which is why there's a cocktail in this show every week. But that is to say that even though this is a Vegas podcast and, and Bill and I do enjoy a, uh, a cocktail or two and we're not morally opposed to gambling, although I'm, I, I, I don't gamble very much. I don't, I'm risk averse by nature. I treat it like an arcade. Uh, you're not going to hear on this podcast, we're not going to talk about some of the seedier sides of Vegas, and we're not trying to judge you if that's your thing, but you're never going to hear strip club reviews on this podcast because that's not our, our scene. So our ideal of, of what men do when they hang out, probably a little bit informed by Hank Hill, you know, if you've seen King of the Tell Hill. Tell you what. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think that's sort of our mentality. So the idea of a bunch of guys just hanging out by the pool took us a while to wrap our brain around that. Although I do love a pool day. My first experience was with my wife. 
it was right after Park MGM opened. So when they made the transition from uh, the Monte Carlo, their pool couldn't get traction. The Monte Carlo had lazy rivers, all these features. The pool at Park MGM is very, there's three pools. It's very uh, sophisticated, quiet, relaxed, not a party vibe, not a family vibe, just adults hanging out quietly by the pool. They made us an offer when that hotel was newly remodeled and reopened. My wife and I got rooms. It was the middle of June. We were there on a Tuesday through Thursday. We got rooms for $27. Wait, rooms? Like she wouldn't stay in the same well, room with you? A room, excuse me. Because, I mean, I wouldn't stay in the same yeah, room with okay, you. Okay, fair. One room, but we got it $27 a night, no resort fees, and we were able to rent a pool cabana for only $125, which is a steal at, at a um, strip resort. We had a fabulous day. And I've been hooked ever since. Fair. And a part of that just comes down to my wife's preference for stuff. She she doesn't sit still and quiet really ever, which means that for us as a couple, sitting out by the pool is probably not a thing that's going to happen. Right. Which, which I thought I was going to be bored, but honestly, my wife and I both took our Kindles and we laid in the shade, read our books. Well, and when I eventually did a pool day with you and my friend, our buddy Mike, I really liked it. I just, that was kind of the mindset about why I hadn't done it initially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it really is. It's a great way to spend your day. Um, yeah. The second time we went as a guy's trip at the Moreno. <coughs> yeah. Uh, so the Moreno, uh, 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 that is more adult than we normally do. I just said that we have uh, our good Protestant ethos. It is a uh, European-style pool, which means optional, but I'm half blind anyway and don't wear Wait, glasses. Wait, the Moreno? The what? The Moreno at um, Mandalay Bay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't remember what the actual pool's name was. I thought you were talking <laughs> about the hotel, and I had no idea what you meant there. Yeah, sorry. I'm on board with you. For- so the pool day at the Mandalay Bay was a whole lot of fun. For one thing, it was segmented out enough. Um, Y'all, I'm in my late 40s. I'm happily married. We just passed our 21st anniversary. And I don't know, I would feel weird being like the old dude amongst a lot of women in their 20s in bikinis. The good thing about the Mandalay Mandalay Bay pool is it was split up enough that so Chris Rock has a routine. It's not that you're old. It's that you're too old to be at the club. Yeah. And that's how I would have felt around a lot of pools. The Mandalay Bay is sufficiently large, though, that there's a space that's going to fit you, whatever it is that's comfortable to right. you. Right. And they do have two adult-only areas, mm-hmm. and the Moreno is a little more chill. They have another one I forget the name of that it is. It is a day club, and this is a phenomenon in Vegas. And if you're young and you like electronic dance music or DJs and you want to party your butt off in 110 degree heat, they have that for you. But, uh, I weighed, I've lost a significant amount of weight. I weighed, you know, over 300 pounds when I was of an age where that scene would be good for me. And nobody would have wanted me out there shirtless partying at that point. And now that I've lost weight, I'm an old man. Nobody wants to see me shirtless out there partying. So the whole day club scene is really not, not for us. We're definitely looking for the more chill, uh, pools. True. Although, I mean, there, I absolutely understand why that would be fun. Just, I don't know, in the afternoon in Vegas, uh, during the time of year when the pools are open, there's not a whole lot I want to be doing outside unless I'm sitting actually in the water at the moment or underneath some shade or something like that. 
Yeah, which is where, uh, if you can afford it, renting a cabana is a great idea because the cabanas usually have ceiling fans and misters. You have a mini fridge. You have a server bringing you ice-cold beverages of the adult or non-adult variety, whatever you like. It really is worth it. And, you know, there's a cabana at about every price point because some of the ones on the Strip, you can drop $2,000, I think, at a, at a, the the palazzo for a cabana, but you can spend $150 and 75 of that is food and drink credit at the plaza downtown. So there is a cabana at every price point. So talk to me too, through a choice that you've made. One of the most popular videos on our YouTube channel is just a quick walkthrough. I did a stadium swim at the Circa, which is a whole lot of fun. You've talked about staying at some other hotels, with, like the Golden Gate, which will give you privileges to go into the Circa pool. And there are a lot of hotels that will do that. They'll let you pay it, buy a day pass if you're staying right, there, right. or go in if you're with a partner hotel or whatever. But that doesn't quite make sense to me because I'm going to be you know wet in my swimsuit, whatever. So if I'm going to do a pool day, it's going to be at the hotel I'm staying at, so I don't have to traipse gear back and forth. Certainly not if I'm going to have to sit in a cab or something like that. Talk me through your logic of being willing to do a pool day at a hotel you're not actually staying at. Right, because my wife and I are about to do this again. We're going over July 4th, and we, uh, we, we're planning on staying at New York, New York, but we have rented a night swim pool cabana at the Venus Pool at Caesars Palace, and we're doing this on July 4th because what we want to do is lay in the pool and stare up at the fireworks while we're drinking a margarita, which is going to be a great night. I can't tell you how excited I am. And y'all, I'm going to say words I don't say to John very often, but John, you're right. If you were going to do a pool day in Vegas, I think doing it at night when it's cooler, but still plenty warm to enjoy the pool would be right. And on the 4th of July, when you can look up and see the fireworks, you know what? I will give you that one. You win. You've got a better idea than I had. So, um, you know, some of the things we do, like my wife, uh, she will find some pool cover-ups. And this is pretty easy for women. There's a lot of them now that essentially are dresses that you can wear over your swimsuit and then put back on. Uh, in the Vegas heat, it does not take long to dry out. So you're not going to throw something on over your wet swimsuit. I, I very much do the same thing. I will wear uh, elastic waistband linen, like uh, Cuban style pants, the kind of thing you might wear to a Cuban wedding on the beach. They look like khaki pants, but there's something that dries out very quickly. Uh, wear those and, you know, some Sperry's and a, um, Cuban shirt or Hawaiian shirt so that it's really easy. You know, you don't have to carry, you don't have to just schlep in a whole bag of gear with you, your swimsuits on underneath some light flowing travel clothes, and then you're in and out of them pretty quick. So you, you can actually do this pretty efficiently where it's not a major inconvenience. So I'm going to Vegas next week. Um, as we record this, it is Sunday, May the 7th. I'll land a week from today. And it's a research trip for the YouTube channel. So I'm not going to do a pool day, but I'm going to walk through several pools. One of the things I want to pay attention to in those pool areas is what their menu looks like. Not the food menu, because the food offerings tend to be pretty standard poolside fare, but the drink menus. Because our drink of the day is a margarita, and we've talked about how I don't want a big syrupy sweet margarita a lot of the drinks that I've seen on the various pool menus I've been to have been big, syrupy, sweet sorts of concoctions, even if it is the margarita, and that's just going to kill you in that heat. Set aside what it is that I don't enjoy. I think that would just kill you. So what, That's going to be one of my projects is to look for who's got some options that seem like it's appropriate to the summer, but you're not you know, swimming in a giant fishbowl full of 
sweet goo. Well, and I think, uh, you know, number one, if you want to keep it cocktail centric, which we tend to do for the value of the podcast, uh, there's always the venerable Chilton, which is a West Texas creation. Uh, God bless us. Ranch water, branch water, whatever you want to go with. So club soda and the spirit of your choice. But I also think canned seltzers are a really good choice because beer can be heavy. Sweet cocktails are too much. There Lightly, ain't no law with when you're the drinking claw. claw. That's in yeah. in a bucket full of white claw or truly or something like that. I know, you know, we were just talking about manly stereotypes. I don't care if anybody thinks I'm not manly because I'm drinking a grapefruit truly at the pool. Uh, yeah, you're I'm in Vegas. They're pool. not. Do, yeah, you do care. your thing. Yeah, and I think a, a bucket full of seltzers really, to me, is the, is the perfect thing. And you might get one big margarita. Or one sweet cocktail. Uh, my wife usually will, but then from there on, we're, we're splitting buckets of, of seltzers. And it's refreshing, it's light, it's crisp, and it does not it's not cloyingly sweet or heavy malty like beer. Before we move on to start talking about Vegas news or whatever else we're going to say about pools, I want to break in for a second and talk about where I'm going to do my next pool day in Vegas. And I don't have a time oh, for this, but there's tell. a spot I want to go to. So... I stayed in January at the Waldorf Astoria, and y'all, this place is expensive. It's at least 600 bucks a night, and that's if you get a cheap room midweek during a slow week. It can easily be $800 a night for a basic room, and I don't have that kind of money hardly ever. However, it, because it's a Waldorf Astoria, they take Hilton points, and the Hilton redemption rates are really, really good. So I stayed at the Waldorf Astoria for free, and I walked through their pool area. So it's totally high-end. If you're a Hilton Honors member, there's an excellent chance you can stay there for free or for a price that's not a whole lot worse than free, or you can buy points for less than the room would have cost you or whatever. Their pool area is not huge, and if you're looking for a party crowd, this is not your space, right? Like, that's not where you're going. But if you want a quiet cabana, probably some nice music playing. Like, I walked through it, right? I got a video up of that on the YouTube channel. Um you know, good bar service, all of that. I think that's going to be my next pool day. And when I get my wife to go back with me one of these summer days, I think that's what I do. Yeah, I think one of the ones I still want to do, and there's a bunch because I I really love the pool. Uh, Cosmo does movies in their pool midweek, I believe on Monday nights. And when my wife and I go in July, I don't know that we can squeeze that in. We've got a bunch of stuff on our itinerary. Uh, however, if we add in a second pool experience, that's on my short list of, of things to try out. Just hanging out at the upper pool deck at Cosmo. I think it's on like the fifth floor. You're up above the strip and, and watching a movie with, you know, your 500 newest best friends. That seems like a really nice way to spend an evening. Okay. And that may be one of the other fundamental differences in how you and I are approaching a pool day. You just we're just talking about your 500 new best friends. You are fundamentally an extroverted person. Oh, yeah. And I am not. You take the Myers-Briggs. I come out in INTJ every time. Um, it's Of course, I like talking to my friends. Of course, I like talking to other people. But if I need to draw energy and recharge, I can go somewhere quietly by myself, which is hard to do when you've got a job and a wife and kids. And because I'm an idiot who's bad at things, umpire Little League recreationally three or four nights a week, Right, I don't want to go to a place where there's several hundred people because that is introvert hell. But yeah. for somebody like who's wired the way you are, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, because I'm I'm the guy, and this bothers like when I'm traveling with you or traveling with my wife, it, my travel companions, it, it wears them out. But I'm the guy that will talk to the stranger at the bar 
I will make a new best friend in five minutes. It doesn't matter. It's a so, lot of fun. Y'all, last time we flew to Vegas, which was about a couple months ago now, we were flying on Southwest, the Greyhound of the Skies, because it's a non. We live in Midland. They have a nonstop to Vegas. It made sense. I'm sitting there innocently reading my book while I've got my headphones on. I look to my left. John is turned around to the dude in the row behind him, and they're having a very animated conversation about whatever. That dude was wearing work clothes, but was worth several million dollars because that's the sort of thing that happens in Midland all the time. And they drink together on different rows all the time. So, yeah, sure. John's going to enjoy a oh, pool yeah. day experience oh, where yeah. there's 500 other best friends. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, and, and I don't know that I could sell my wife on this one, which is the other reason I haven't booked it. She's an introvert, but yeah, that's how I roll. Okay. I think we've covered pool day enough to say that if you're on the fence about whether or not to do a pool in Vegas, listeners, we highly, highly, highly encourage it. But I think it's time we jump over to some Vegas news. So, Bill, we're going to start with you. You've got a story here. So it's one that I thought was a super weird source of controversy for the state of Nevada. But the Culinary Workers Union in Las Vegas is pushing for a statewide lottery for some some kid-focused funding. And Big Gaming opposes it. And I am shocked that in the state of Nevada, there's a gambling initiative that can actually be kind of controversial. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about it, you know... The idea of the government running the gambling racket instead of, you know, the resorts and casinos. Which is um, precisely what the big gambling is saying is they don't want the um, they don't want government sponsored gambling competing against them. So I get it and I understand the arguments and apparently the proposal that they're discussing is poorly written and all of that. So it all makes sense. I'm just wait, gambling's controversial in Nevada? And at first, when I read those headlines, it's like, please tell me this isn't some like the world's weirdest moral argument because gambling in Southern Nevada would somehow be bad or something. But no, they are considering a lottery. My best guess is that doesn't pass. But I guess the real story there is that, you know what? There are millions of folks who live and work in Nevada and call it home, and they deal with their weird local political issues just like you do wherever it is you're yeah. from. Yeah, absolutely. Although I would point out as a Texan that uh, running the lottery to fund something for children doesn't work uh, because we were supposed to solve all of our education problems with lottery and that didn't work. I will say, though, I do get it. Like if you're Caesars or MGM, the lottery is not going to hurt you. But if you are station casinos or if you're some of these really small gambling houses that cater purely to locals, I do understand why this would, would seem to be a threat to your economic model. No, that makes sense. Because me, if I when I go to Vegas six times a year or however often it is I go now, I might spend ten or twenty bucks on some lotto tickets, but honestly, I won't even notice that I've done it. It makes no impact on the rest of my gambling. Right. But right. what else we have, John? So uh, there's going to be at the at the Showcase Mall, which is the south end of the Strip. They're going to open a, a Stranger Things experience. So. Um, going to be kind of one of those interactive things. So Bill, have you ever done one of these? I know Marvel station is there uh, for years. There was the star Trek experience. It was what was then the Las Vegas Hilton that, and then it moved down to MGM grand. And now that's been gone. Uh, have you ever done the movie fan thing, the Titanic? Well, I guess Titanic's an actual event, but you know, the movie kind of made everybody care about it again. Have you ever done these kind of fandom Uh, things in Vegas. I have not, although I really wanted to do the Star Trek thing when that was there. And I'm pretty sure 
that if that had still been open when you and I started going to Vegas several years ago, we'd have been there. We'd have dragged our friends with us, just told them, shut up, get in the truck, right? We'd have yeah. gone and yeah, done yeah, it. Yeah. But it was shut. Because you know what? Sure, I would have been too old for that. But there I wouldn't have cared. Like I am fully dressed. If there's some other kids in there who can't afford to pay the money for the ticket to be in the captain's chair, that's a them problem. So it's a thing I'm interested in. It's just not a thing I've ever actually done. Yeah, I think the Star Trek one, you know, drinking at Quark's Bar, I mean, come on, I, I, I wanted that. I never got to go. I never had the money to go to Vegas when that was a thing. Stranger Things is interesting. I just, I I don't know that that's the right brand in Vegas, but maybe I'm wrong. I do love the show. I don't know if you watched it. I'm a huge, huge fan. The Duffer Brothers are geniuses. I just don't know that I feel particularly compelled to go to this thing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But the great thing is, and you're the one who used this analogy before, um, and with apologies to having talked about the Star Trek experience earlier, Vegas is essentially your holodeck. It is whatever you want it to be. I can go in and be completely comfortable wearing a suit, doing country club type things, having a high-end dinner, sitting next to somebody who from a completely different walk of life, making very different choices and everybody's okay with both of those sets of choices. And I can absolutely see how one of these experiences would, would have a big appeal to a lot of folks. Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, I'm about to go stay in fake New York. You have stayed in fake Egypt. We've stayed in a couple different versions of fake Italy. Uh, you know, where else in the world can you, go into a cheesy, tacky uh, tiki bar and then walk down five shops in the strip mall and be at a Michelin star French restaurant. I mean, Vegas, you can literally do anything you want whenever you want. So, you know, if the Stranger Fane, uh, Things fan base goes for this, I, I, I do think it's great. I just don't know that I'm, I'm buying a ticket. But speaking of cheesy and tacky, let's talk about the rambling train wreck, which is the Oakland A's oh, right sure. now. Because what we did in episode two of this podcast is we talked about them moving to Vegas. And the short version is there's no possible way they go this season, right, 2023. And there's no possible way they go in 2024 um, because they've still got a lease on the Oakland County Coliseum. They have signed a definitive agreement to purchase land in Vegas. That new stadium should be open for the 2027 season. The question is, where do they go for 2025 and 2026? If I was a gambling man, and I am, right? Like this is a whole podcast about Vegas. So if I was a gambling man, it looks to me like it's increasingly likely that the A's will be in some sort of temporary quarters in Vegas for the 2025 and 2026 seasons. Because the people in Oakland, for good reasons that I understand, are getting increasingly testy. They're, I think they had 2,500 people for a major league game at one point last week. They're increasingly getting protests. Some of the, the folks who work around the stadium are hurt because if you're the security guard or the nacho vendor or whatever, you've just lost your livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. It's increasingly looking likely to me that the A's are going to move to Vegas ASAP, even if they got to be in temporary quarters for a while. One of the things that I thought was interesting is that the Nevada legislature is set to debate this month a package to support the A's. And it, the scuttlebutt is that that winds up getting passed. But what I'm absolutely shocked about is that the legislature is still discussing it. I, I'm shocked that the A's signed that agreement before they knew exactly what the financing package looked like. And please don't hear me making an argument one way or the other on whether there should be public financing. That's not my point. 
it's a thing which seems to matter to the A's, and it's a thing which at least some Nevada officials seem willing to do. The A's already showed their cards before the deal was finalized, and I'm not good at poker, but I know you don't do that. Yeah, and and normally if you're the baseball team trying to move into a town, you look for a little help from your football team colleagues. But going back to days in, in Oakland, the um, Davis family hates the A's ownership. So they're not going to get – there's no way they're going to be able to play at Allegiant Stadium, and there's no way that the Raiders are going to do any lobbying to help them get a public deal here. So, yeah, they've kind of painted themselves into a bit of a corner. Yeah, so I'm curious to see what's happening there. But the situation in Oakland is so bad. I'm now, I, I very much believe this happens as quickly as possible. And I don't know what that means for the Aviators, the AAA affiliate of the A's, which is there now. But I don't know. If if I was going to bet, I would bet that the Oakland A's are there, are the Las Vegas A's for the 2025 season and are at the stadium where the Aviators play now. Yeah, and that seems like the most likely uh, most likely outcome. Cool. Well, so- let, let's shift from, from one cluster to another. Let's talk about Fountain Blue. And by the way, uh, per Vital Vegas, uh, who I should have cited as our source for the Stranger Things, uh, and I don't think Scott will ever listen to our podcast because he doesn't even like to make his own very often. But if you don't follow at Vital Vegas on Twitter or read uh, Vital Vegas's blog, at uh, casino.org, you should, because uh, he really does. Uh, you know, you can get the same story from the local newspaper in, in Las Vegas, but they won't get it till three months after Vital Vegas breaks it. The official pronunciation is Fountain Blue. Good old American Fountain Blue, not Fountain Blah or whatever we, you know. So don't try to Although, be Although, if you've been drinking a while in Vegas, are you free to mispronounce it? I don't think, it, it, you know, your money spins. Isn't that what Martin told us when we were at Lasark? Your money spins. They don't care. God bless Martin. Uh, so you could be the ugly American. By the way, Martin at Lasark, uh, the greatest waiter on earth. If you happen to hear this podcast, and why would you? Shout out to you, sir. Uh, but according to multiple sources, the Fountain Blue has now pushed their uh, opening to the fourth quarter. So I was hoping to be able to walk through it in July. That's not going to happen. Uh, but let's talk about what the north end of the strip starts looking like once Fountain Blue opens their doors. So that's going to become an increasingly attractive destination. I'm, I have a, a annual tradition, and by annual tradition, I mean I did it last year and I intend to do it again next year. But where I go to National Finals Rodeo, which is typically the first weekend of December, my guess is that Fountain Blue, or Fountain Blue, sorry, should be open by then. And I'm probably going to try to stay there because there's, particularly in December when you can walk more easily because it's cooler, Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. I stayed at Resorts World last year, got a lot of good video from it from the YouTube channel. We're making a trip there for Labor Day this year. But if you can go from Wynn to Resorts World to the Dirty Castle up to Fountain Blue and the Sahara, and I guess the Stratosphere, if you really feel like you have to, then you've got a critical mass of stuff to do, and all of a sudden the North Strip becomes its own destination. Yeah, and and uh, uh, to be fair, you said the Dirty Castle, but we're not impugning Excalibur. It actually is the Dirty Clown Tent. Uh, but oh yeah, sorry, I don't. And you know what, the Dirty Castle, the Excalibur. Not cool, but I'm willing to enter it even if I don't want to stay there. The 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 circus circus, no, 
right? Just just know. So I will say that, and in, in I'm going to jump the order that we have listed on the run sheet, Bill, uh, but since you brought up Circus Circus, I do want to try that steakhouse, which leads me to this. The new 63 Vegas Shopping Center, which is, uh, if you know anything about Vegas, there was an attempt to build something called the Harmon Tower, which was structurally unsound, and it has sat for years between Aria and the shops at Crystal. Well, now the 63 Vegas Shopping Center is there, and Ocean Prime Steakhouse is opening soon. So, uh, Bill, how do you feel about having one more ultra-high-end steakhouse on the south end of the Strip? Uh, if you're going to force me to do it, then, of course, I will go there. I love the high-end steakhouse, and it can be fantastic food. I guess the problem I have with some of those super high-end steakhouses is that there are some amazing steakhouses that don't get quite so full of themselves. Like my favorite steakhouse in town, just for the quality of the food and for the quality of the service and for the ambiance is Oscars downtown. And it's not that some of the fancy places on the Strip aren't good, because they are. Like SW Steakhouse up at the Wynn is amazing. Jean-Georges at the Aria is a splendid meal. So it's good. It just seems like kind of a saturated market space. And even if I'm staying on the Strip, I mean, my favorite place, my two favorite places, now that I think about it, are um, downtown at Oscars and then Herbs and Rye, which is way, way off strip. So take that extra money, get in an Uber and go to a place that's going to serve you a better steak. Yeah, I, I, I completely, I completely agree. And yet I'll probably try it. So Bill, talk to us about the Colorado River. So um, one of, in my one of my past lives, I worked for an organization called the International Boundary and Water Commission, which is the group which lines where exactly the border is between the United States and Mexico. And you would think that's not a big deal. Like, we've known that since the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, but no, it turns out there's there's some questions. And if you've got a, an urban zone like El Paso and Juarez or something like that, then exactly to the meter or the foot where the boundary is matters. The other thing that the IBWC did was water rights. And so I spent, and the United States and Mexico share a common interest in, you know, some of the water that flows, the Rio Grande in Texas or the Colorado River between Arizona and Mexico. So I know a whole lot about this issue. One of the things I've been studying for about 20 years, Vegas's main source of water is Lake Mead. They've got other sources of water, but their main source of water is Lake Mead behind Hoover Dam, which have been dropping and dropping and dropping. Get a window seat as you fly into Vegas. And on final approach, you'll see a great big lake that is surrounded by white bathtub rings. That's Lake Mead. And the bathtub rings are where there used to be water and there's not. Vegas has got a problem with water supply. And the Southern Nevada Water Authority, the people responsible for dealing with that, are phenomenally good at their jobs. They're handling it as well as they could. But ultimately, you've got millions of people in a place where God never intended millions of people to be. Lake Mead has been dropping for a couple of decades, but there was really, really good news this year. Snowpack um, further up in the Colorado River was 177% of normal. That means it looks like by the time that is finished melting in a few weeks, Lake Mead will have raised by about 50 feet. And what that buys Las Vegas is another good solid probably year, maybe even a bit more than that of water. 
um, while they figure out what their long-term water solutions are going to be. So yeah, no, that is phenomenally good news for the people of Vegas. There's lots, lots more water to get through an extended stretch. Yeah, and, and I think that's phenomenal uh, for any number of reasons, uh, not just because we're big fans of selfishly wanting to go on vacation in Las Vegas, but because it's it's a it's a vital economic center, you know, you know, over a million people call it home and live and work there, and we want to see that continue. Okay, last news story, and then we're going to kick it over to Bill to talk about his upcoming trip and what will be new on Facebook. So the Paris is getting a new tower, sort of. So as uh, as uh, Bally's has transitioned to the Horseshoe, there's one of their towers that is closer to Paris than the other, and, and that I believe it's it's been called the Jubilee Tower. That is now going to transition over to be part of Paris. It's going to get a covered walkway to the rest of Paris. It's going to get remodeled a little bit, so architecturally it looks like there. There's rumors going around again. Our source on this is Vital Vegas, because he knows everything about Vegas, um, that they're going to add in some balconies uh, that face out to the Bellagio Fountains, which will be a nice opportunity for Paris to upcharge on some rooms, but also a nice chance for a tourist to have a room with a view. So Bill, what do you think? I've never stayed at Paris. I don't think you have yet either. Uh, Does that make Paris a little more enticing to you? So I did stay at the Paris. Here was the problem. When I stayed at Paris, my wife and I were living in Nigeria where, you know, there were some fundamental structural economic challenges and we said, you know what we want to do? We want to go to a place which has all the gratuitous electricity in the world. So like, cool, we'll book a trip to Vegas. So we did the next time we were home. And we went with our then nine-month-old. And y'all, if you've got an opportunity to take your nine-month-old to Vegas, please, please don't, right? Like it was, it was one of the dumber ideas that I've ever had. So I've stayed at the Paris. It's a beautiful place. I just made some dumb trip planning choices. So... I need to go back sometime. Um, I, I would be thrilled to go. I'd be thrilled to be back. I'd be thrilled to go. I'm actually eating dinner there, I think, on this next trip. Yeah, I am. At, at Gordon Ramsay's Steak is there, I believe. So I'll be there on this next trip. Um, so it's a place I have been to, but it's been pushing... Oh, gosh, my kid's 17. So it's been like 16... No, it's been 17 years now. It's been a long time. I can't really speak intelligently to it. Well, and I would have to think, given the difference between the clientele, between what was Bally's and now Paris, that there's going to be a significant refresh of these rooms. I think it might be an opportunity to revisit Paris and see what they have to offer because you're going to get some fresh uh, new furniture, new paint, uh, updated fixtures. I think I think this might be an opportunity for, for a nice video or two, which is a great segue. Bill, why don't you close up this episode talking about what's new on YouTube and what you plan to add after your next trip. So y'all, what we care about at Dine Drink Travel is getting you the information you need to plan your next trip to Vegas. And to do that, we actually have several different outlets. We've got our website, Dine Drink Travel. We've got this podcast, which is available in multiple different places. But the YouTube channel is Dine Drink Travel Vegas, um, which a lot of times we just shorten to Dine Drink Vegas because we're drinking, extra words are hard, and all of that. I'm take going to... um. Vegas for what is honest to goodness a working trip next week. I'll be there for three nights. A buddy of mine's going to join me for like one night. We might have a cocktail while he's there. 
But what I'm gonna do is stay at the Bellagio because some of our most popular videos are at VIP lounges. So I booked myself a pass into the VIP lounge at the Bellagio because a lot of folks wanna see that. And what we do on the YouTube channel is videos are no more than 10 minutes, really hardly ever, and usually significantly shorter than that, showing you what you need to know. The second night, I'm going to check out of the Bellagio, and I'm actually going to. We were talking about Bally's now the Horseshoe. I'm going to spend a night at the Horseshoe because it was like 29 bucks, and I want to be able to tell our viewers on the YouTube channel or our listeners here on the podcast what that experience is like. I can't remember where my buddy Ryan is saying the night he is there. Um, I had said in the last podcast it was Bally's. It is not because that's the same place, um, but it is one of the other nearby hotels the final night that I'm there, I'm going to the Treasure Island. And y'all, if you're looking for an upscale experience on a budget, the Treasure Island has some suites. Their Petite Suite, or um, I can't remember what the other one is called, their Tower Suite. And the rooms aren't huge, but if you want to have a few people over to watch football, you can. And what really matters is even their Petite Suite and all their other suites too have two bathrooms in them. So if you're sharing a room with somebody or if you're having people over to watch football or whatever, that's huge. I'm looking forward to going back to the Treasure Island, which, if you're a back blackjack player, and I am, has overwhelmingly the best blackjack odds on the Strip. So I'll have videos of those places, as well as where we're going to eat and all of that. I'm looking forward to that, but we ought to start seeing those videos drop in less than two weeks now. So that's going to be it for episode number number three of Dine, Drink, Travel. Uh, we want to thank you for listening and uh, remind you that in between episodes, the next one will hit here in about the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, you can keep up with us at Dine, Drink, Travel is Bill on Twitter. You can keep up with me at Dine, Drink, John also on Twitter. You can keep up with the YouTube channel. And Bill, where else can we find you? Uh, we are on Instagram and Facebook again at Dine, Drink, Travel. And we'll catch you next time, listeners.